Hello podcast listeners, welcome to Stay Humble Podcast. Today's guest, Gail Swift, is the founder of Plans of Prosper and Colbert Professional Speaker. In this episode, I ask Gail, what is coronation? What are the issues we face on a day-to-day basis with coronation? And what are the differences between a positive and a negative coronation? And we talk much more in depth in this chat. Please share, rate and subscribe to the podcast to help Stay Humble to grow further. Now it's time to Stay Humble with Gail Swift. Welcome to Stay Humble podcast, Gail Swift. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling fantastic and honoured to be here. Thank you so much. No, thank you firstly for reaching out to me in terms of, you know, wanting to share your knowledge and stuff like that. And I just wanted to firstly ask, you know, just to introduce yourself to the listeners so I, I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I moved here from the Midwest about five years ago. I work with individuals and families and schools with something called conation, and it is instincts. It is how people work when free to be themselves. Yeah. And, and in terms of coordination, like, you know, it's something that I've not even come across. So like, for instance, I've read a lot about like stuff like this, like chimp management um, and stuff like that from um, Stephen Peters, which is the chimp paradox and stuff like that. And coronation was one of the things that I've never even come across. I kind of had to Google it and to, to sort of be like, what's that in terms of working out? So for the listeners, like, you know, what, can you just explain what coronation is? Yes, I sure can. And you're not alone, David. There, a lot of people haven't heard of it. Kathy Colby was the inventor. I guess coronation has been around since Aristotle and Socrates and Plato. It was called the third part of the mind or the moral compass. And it wasn't until actually 1987. And even before that, she was, her dad developed an IQ test called the Wonderlick, which is used for sports, or it was called a mental ability test. And she said, you know what, dad, there are other ways to measure how someone takes action besides their IQ or cognitive. And he encouraged her, then figure it out, then go for it. And so when she was in school before she could drive, she was studying how people acted and reacted to certain situations. And she would take notes and notes and notes. Her and her son developed an algorithm to prove her theory about how people take action in 1987. That algorithm is still used today. One of the things that she talked about that it would be is unchanging, David. So an unchanging way of taking action. She measures the instincts by putting you into a position of having to decide what to do when there's a problem that you care about solving. That is a huge important factor that you have to care about solving it. So the questions are most likely and least likely. So it puts you into a state of having to decide and it comes up with four numbers, which is called your MO or your pattern of taking action. I learned my MO in 1991 and I took it 25 years later because she said it doesn't change and it doesn't. It was the same 25 years later. And so it took me um, took me a little bit of time to get certified and used to it. And especially when I got married and had kids and the people close to me that I wanted to get along with, I saw that they solved problems differently than I did. And I was even more curious about it. 
Yeah, and what are the sort of issues that we face on a day-to-day basis with coronation? What are the sort of issues that we face? I would say we, if we don't know about it, it's a sneaky stress. It is, it's a stress that takes a little bit of time. And then you're like, I'm done. I can't handle it. So it's sneaky, slow stress. It's, it's like a slow bleed, I guess you could call it. And you could be in a position, you could be a CEO, a millionaire, a mom, a podcaster going against your grain in a certain area. And it causes you an enormous amount of stress to even do that thing. And over time, that could lead to serious health problems and considerations that, yeah, are unknown. Yeah, I, I can understand, like, obviously, people, like you said there, like, people are unaware of it. And then, obviously, yes. when your expertise is working with children, so how difficult is it explain it to a child to understand their coronation? Is it, do you word it differently? Well, how do you kind of get that across to them? To the kids? Yeah. Well, working with, I don't really work. I test a three-year-old with a bag of Mm. toys. And from that bag of toys, you can see the difference between what is play and what is striving behavior. And when you can find that out in a young kid, I wanted this information when my kids were two and four, because I so quickly realized that I would tell them to do something and they'd say, why can't I do it this way or no? And they, you know, they would either do it another way or they wouldn't do it at all. And I, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, they are, they're not being defiant or are they like, I just, I wanted them to get the job done, but I wanted them to get the job done their way. So I thought, why not go with the grain? And I had to wait till they had a fourth grade reading level to test them and see how they worked. Hmm. That's, that's interesting how, like you say, you've, you've tried to let them sort of self-discover. That's a really interesting way of doing it rather than letting them say, right, it has, has to be a fixed mindset. You've given them that open, open mindset to discover it themselves. And in terms of what are the differences in terms of a positive and a negative coronation? So that's, David, there is no negative Um, They are, there are four modes of behaviors and I'm going to talk about them in colors. So red is your need, their needs, not wants. So if it was a want, it would be a personality or a preference. And I don't work with preferences. Conation is based on your need to do it this way. And so there's a need for people to have a lot of information when they solve a problem or very little information. And then the second line is blue. And that is a need for someone to have a system or procedure being very organized or a need to shortcut and skip steps. And then the third is green. And the green is your need for risk and uncertainty. This is some people actually take a lot of risk and they start problem solving by brainstorming to make a decision or others work to make sure things are kind of status quo and they don't move too much. And the fourth mode is your need to get your hands on the world, literally get your hands on the world and touch and feel things and manipulate things with your hands. Some people have an enormous need to get their hands on things and others do not. So those are the four modes of behavior and there is no wrong or right. It just is. It just exists. It's the way you solve problems. Some people in the world think that some talents 
are easier than others. And I teach them what their natural lane is. And I teach them how to lean into it and ask for what they need to be the best employee or student or parents or spouse. Yeah. And, and how, like, that's quite interesting. How do you go about in terms of finding that out for a person? Like what sort of methods would you use to, to discover that? It's an online assessment. It's an online assessment that I send people when they make a decision to work with me. And it is about 35 questions that are asked uh, most likely or least likely. And when they're finished, then I know their four digit number. I know their MO and then the work and the beauty begins. Mm. And then what would you do from there to, to help with their MO? Is there any sort of, do you just right. put steps so, in place? And also it, to work with, I don't work, I don't coach um, a lot of people under 16. I have worked with 13, 14 year olds on a, I would say a sporadic basis, but I don't use a lot of jargon. I actually work with the families and the parents and just do a lot of noticing because you have a blueprint as a parent or whoever you're working with, you have a blueprint for proof that they can solve a problem. So a lot of people think, I don't know if my child is old enough to do that, but their report is saying they can. And let me give you an example. My son is at the time he was 11 years old and we had a gas grill come to the house and he was all eager to put it together. Of course, he put together Legos when he was a kid. My husband said, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's such a good idea. Um, he's 11 and I knew how he worked. And so I took him into another room, my husband, and I said, Hey, what would be the worst thing that could happen? And he's like, he could blow up the house. Okay, no, he's not going to blow up the house, but I'll go out there and I'll check on him. And so we agreed and we went out there and we said, Noah, go for it. Put together the gas grill. And I would go out there and I would bring him water and food. And he started at one o'clock and I would get all the garbage out of the way. And he came in at about 2.30 and he's like, mom, I made a mistake. I said, okay, what did you do? And I went outside and he's like, well, I knew this didn't fit. So I backed up a page. He's the only person in the family that has a need to finish what he starts. And I knew this. So it overruled age. I took his natural ability and allowed him to put together the grill. And so at 5.15 with hot mitts in hand, he had put together the whole grill. Now, if I didn't know how he worked, David, I probably wouldn't have let him put together the grill because I would think he's too young. I would think he wasn't capable, but I knew the pattern that he took to solve a problem and he wanted to do it. And so he did. That's an example of how I use conation in my own life. And that's exactly how I help parents use conation with their kids. I can imagine some parents listening to that absolutely like head like thinking, oh my goodness, like why would you let your child go anywhere near a gas canister, but like, or gas 
fire. And like you've said there, you trusted him in terms of been allowing him to able to put that together because that's his coronation of being able to to put that together. And it's actually gonna it was gonna be one of the questions that I wanted to ask was like, what's your advice for parents in the best way? of to use coronation techniques as, as a parent. So you've kind of touched on it there. Is there other ways that you would suggest that for parents? A couple things that need to be in existence before you release the grip, in my opinion, for me, we had three overarching themes of how we wanted our kids to turn out. We really, it was important to us that we created contributors to the world and not takers. So we wanted people, we wanted our kids to leave the world better than they found it because they have a place and a purpose. The second thing is respect. We wanted them to have respect for themselves and others. And the third is integrity. So with those three themes as overarching, all of the problems on the ground or the potential headaches, that was a barometer or a measuring stick to success. So when you have their pattern and you have the way that you want your little ones to turn out, do matching socks create a respectful kid? No. Do straight A's create integrity? No, not necessarily at all. What, in our opinion, we wanted our kids to have the freedom to decide. Because I believe that when people have the freedom to decide, the light doesn't go out for learning. They can continue to learn their way at about third grade, or I would say um, maybe seven or eight years old is usually when the lights go out in a kid and they feel less than if they're different from school. And they absolutely, they are, but um, to get back on the track and I kind of forgot the question. I was talking about Tyler. I was talking about advice for parents. Yes. What's the okay, best advice yes. for parents for coordination yeah. techniques? So three overarching themes. And then when you get their number, watch it, like watch it happen. But you need those three things, two, three or four things, or you're not going to have a barometer for what's important to you. So when you have their pattern for taking action, I also found that when their love or their dream is fulfilled, for example, um, I have two kids One of them loves tinkering with like electronics and the other one loves digging holes, like creating things with his hands. So I recognized that when they were filled up after school, doing what they loved, that school was bearable Mm -hmm. and tolerable. Now I remember what I was going to say. So my younger son was in third grade or fourth grade, and I noticed he wasn't coming home with worksheets, the homework sheets. And I said, Hey, Tyler, where are your homework sheets? Yeah. I noticed you haven't been bringing them home. Are they not giving them to you? And he said, no, they're still, they're still giving them to us. And I've decided to take the 10% ding. Well, what 10% ding would that be? And he said, well, I asked the teacher what percentage of grade the homework is worth. And she said 10%. It's not worth it to me to do the homework. So I've decided not to. Now, (laughs) as you're very well aware, some parents are going to go in one camp or the other with this next situation. You're either going to say that was a wrong decision Hmm. or you're going to say, you know what? You decided and you're dealing with the consequences. If I wanted to raise a contributor, that child needs to be able to decide and deal with the consequences because there's no one else to blame but himself 
for the actions. Yeah. So I allowed it to happen. I allowed it. And then he doesn't blame anybody because he's responsible for what he's choosing. Mm. And for me, that has worked and saved headache after headache because I'm not hounding him. I'm not following him. I'm not suggesting to him. He knows he needs to pass school if he wants to build houses in third world countries. That's his dream. Keeping the dream alive is the carrot or the motivation Mm. for the child to get there. And the freedom created the, the need for the motivation. So he was alive in what he wants to do. Mm. And Does that makes sense. That, yeah, it makes sense. And it's very accountable. Like the fact he took ownership of that and you've let him decide that obviously him to take that 10% effect on his work. And I just kind of wanted to feed back in terms of, you said a really good quote there about in terms of the light, like the, the light in terms of that, the light goes out sometimes in schools and kids when they get to the age of three, you know, what about for those like working in education teachers where like you've said there, they've, they've, they've not got that, where they could maybe turn that round in terms of using coronation in a school. So what advice would you give to teachers to help bring that back? Teachers are so overwhelmed right now. They have so much on their plates and they're pretty stressed out. But when I have worked with schools, I've noticed about one in four or five teachers really take this on and want it for their own classroom. So what happens and Yeah, usually in third grade, the kids are seven or eight. But what happens if I work with eighth graders or if I work in a high school and one teacher decides to use this? So what happens is I work with the school and every kid, after they know how they work, they get a lanyard with their number on it and it's color coded. When they get the lanyard, they come into the school, they take their lanyard off, they put it on their neck and the teacher gives an assignment or a lesson for the day. And what's super interesting, David, is those kids see the talents of the other ones in the room and they start asking the kids, hey, the red, let's look up some details. I need some details for this project or the yellow. Hey, can you help me build this? And so they start crossing barriers Mm. and recognizing the talents that the other kids have for solving problems and together or in small groups, they solve the problem based on how they work. Mm. It's, it's just interesting that, like I said, like obviously the it shows how we all learn differently. A bit like, I mean, an example would be VARC, you know, if using like that type of principle in terms, some are visual, some are auditory, some are, you know, kinesthetic and, and stuff like that. So that's quite interesting to hear, like obviously using um, sort of a color coding in terms of, the different methods or preferences that they like to work. I've not really come across that in my line of work before in a school. So that's quite, quite different. Um, And I don't know what it's like in terms of their, do you you get a lot of issues in terms of behaviors you have to work with? You know, if any children that suffer with sort of challenging behavior in terms of their motivation. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So I could go a couple of different directions couple of different directions on that. So I don't, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist at all, at all. And the kids that work with, or the kid, the difficult kids, is that who you're talking about? Yeah. Are you talking about like ADD or ADHD kids or just some, 
Yeah, I, I, I personally work in a, a school with children that have diagnosis of ADHD and, and autism and stuff like that, and, and other um, sort of you know disabilities yep. like that. So abs- everyone has a way of solving a problem, and this proves mm. it. Every single person, regardless of what they're labeled, has a way of solving a problem, and that's what conation proves. The school system, as it is right now, I would say is very one-sided versus the other. Those four colors that I was explaining at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the podcast, school systems generally are very heavy in the red and the blue. Teachers are very heavy in the red and the blue and not in the green and the yellow. So what happens when you have a student that's the exact opposite of a teacher? Mm -hmm. What happens when you have a student with natural needs to move around their needs, their not wants, to move around to learn and be his best student? What happens when you have a student who is a brainstormer and needs to talk a lot about something before they actually land on it and decide what to do? Well, as you suggested, you're going to have friction. Mm. You're absolutely going to have friction. The, there was a college and Colby, Kathy Colby did a study with Arizona State University. I think it was 597 students that were diagnosed or labeled ADD, ADHD. She had them take Colby indexes to see what their MO was. All of them, all of them were the opposite of teachers. Hmm. The actual diagnosis of about 597 people diagnosed was 10% that legitimately had ADD, ADHD. All of the rest were cognitively opposite of the, the teachers. So it's difficult. So it's very, from like you said there, it's very difficult for a teacher to sort of put themselves in their shoes if they're on like a different spectrum to or different scale, sorry, to the students they have. So that can be quite obviously, like I say, that's where the friction comes. Yes, that's quite. In- that's right. really interesting to to hear that. Obviously, from in America, like I say, I, it's not something. Obviously, like you mentioned to me before this, there's not very much cub. Um, indicators in terms of schools and stuff that's not something that we we come across so that's quite um i wanted to touch on in terms of yourself and and where did you start to to begin with with plans to prosper oh my gosh i so i grew up with a neurological disorder called plant or called uh, tourette syndrome Hmm. i was diagnosed with tourette's when i was five years old and I couldn't sit still. I obviously I was like, I was twitching. And so I was putting on halidol and dopamine from five until 15 years of age. I didn't take the medicine anymore after 15 and I learned how to handle it naturally, but my parents still thought I was all over the place and didn't have any direction. So they thought I could use some cognitive training. And I went to someone that told me my MO Hmm. and for the first time in my life, someone told me that my randomness and my, what I thought was not able to focus was actually a gift. And it's the first time I'd heard it because conation wasn't around when I was in high school. And I said, it's a gift. How can that be a gift? And she said, you will naturally brainstorm and have crazy ideas, Gail, that no one's come up with before. You're going to do things differently. As a matter of fact, when someone says, I bet you can't, that's going to light you up. 
you also don't have a need to finish anything you start. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't. So I learned to clean my room and keep my area organized because my parents were like that, but I wasn't naturally like that. So I learned that in 1991, that was the first person who told me how I worked was okay. And also how I worked was very random and sporadic. And so coupled with the Tourette syndrome, I was like, I was like a tough combination to be successful in school, quite honestly. Mm. And so I knew this number in 1991 and it came with a list of careers. There were 15 careers on my result. And I followed those careers. I did television advertising. I did on-camera TV. I, I did like a lot of those careers, but it wasn't until I got married and especially started having kids that I recognized the importance and value of knowing that just because someone else does it differently, it doesn't make it worse or wrong. And that was huge. I can imagine. How did you feel at that age, the 15, to be told that that news in terms of that you, you're going to, you should be accepting of that? Like it must have felt very much opposite what you had probably been told in the, in the education that you had up to that point. I didn't want the minute to end. When she was looking at me, I didn't want it to end. I kind of wanted to just take a warm blanket and cozy up with that thought and idea because for so many years I'd heard it wasn't a gift. And for someone telling me that it was, I needed, I wanted to spend more time with it than I was able yeah. to. That's how I felt about hearing that for the first time. And did that change your sort of education as well in terms of like, that was kind of like sort of a, a release, like you kind of just sunk and sort of thought like, from there onwards, it kind of helped you in an education setting or? I would say it didn't make me, I didn't feel bad no. about not finishing everything anymore. I had more energy to be happy, to serve. I wasn't stressed out because I wasn't sitting there for hours and hours and I needed to take a lot of breaks and work in spurts. I learned slowly to do things my way. And I found I was most successful when I would pay attention to my way versus someone telling me that that is how it needs to be. And right. that takes some time to figure out how to do that. Because as a kid, you're looking to an adult, like they've paved the way they know what they're doing. And there's a certain pay your dues mentality that I, I, <laughs> I'm not buying because if my 11 year old can put together a grill, like everybody is capable. And so as a young person to respectfully request this in the work world or as a student that this is my best self and I need this freedom to do it this way. Most people were really agreeable to allowing me the freedom that I need. Now, some people weren't, and that's going to happen. You're not going to get to do everything your way the whole time. And when people weren't agreeable, I knew it was temporary. I knew that maybe I didn't do, I, did, I could do this thing for a short amount of time, but it wasn't going to be forever. And I compartmentalized it. And then that was easier for me to handle as well. Hmm. 
That's just it's just really interesting to to see like obviously that how that's affected in terms of your career now in terms of as of working in your prosper to you know in your work and I just wondered like um how how long has that been how long have you been doing the coaching for now? So I liked legally I've been doing it since two thousand fifteen. Yeah. And and like what sort of do you just work in your local region or is it national or it's national. And it's national. Okay. National and, and international. Yeah. And um as well, has it been a bit dif- different obviously with with what's gone on in the last year? Has that changed how things have worked for you? Has it been become more online? Has it become obviously there's been some challenges for yourself and, and for others? It's hard. I mean, it's hard. It's hard for my kids. It's hard. It's just flat out hard. And so for me, I haven't, I actually have been so focused on what brings them joy through this time and what inspires them more than anything. And to dream with them instead of the grades, instead of what they should be doing. And it's so important to just keep the dream going, keep themselves alive. And that has been my focus for parents too, for parents too. Just when the internal stuff is met, when you're dealing with the heart of a child and a kid, in my opinion, the rest will take care of itself. It usually does, but they have to know that they're seen, they're heard and acknowledged that really this sucks right now. The whole thing has been super hard. And I do a lot of acknowledging and reminding them that I know their absolute best self when they're ready to come out of wherever they are. That I know that when you solve a problem, this is what it looks like. I've seen you in action and I know you'll do it again. I don't know when, but I know you will. Mm. I would say it has been very unsettling. Like, it's it's nothing that anyone's probably experienced in the last hundred years in terms of you know we've we've always had you know schools have never been at a situation where they've had to do it from home they've had to do it virtually stuff like that so it's been very very difficult for them and a, a lot of people saying like this is going to be a gener like a generation well, not generate well yeah a generation where their education has been totally flipped upside down in terms of what they've been exposed to and stuff and it's going to be very hard for them to to catch up is there any things that you would advise for parents or teachers to help them sort of get that back get closer to getting that back is it through motivation or i would say just be patient um mm-hmm. be patient and be kind because learning comes in all shapes and sizes honestly i asked my kids at the beginning of this if they wanted to take a year off and travel oh wow I, I said, do you want to, do you want to not do your school year? And do you want to go travel or go anywhere else? Because I believe so much that there's learning all over the place, wherever, whenever you're doing something you've never done before you're learning. And so I gave them the opportunity to choose if they wanted to stay in school or not. Hmm. And there's a reason for this because when they're choosing to stay in school, then that's their choice, right? That's their commitment. Yeah. And so I asked him twice. I asked him at the beginning and then I asked him three months in and both times they said, we want to stay. I said, okay, that's fantastic. And so when they're obviously complaining, if it's hard, if there's a lot going on and they have like normal kids and I, I listen, I acknowledge. And then I, I remind them, I remind them of their commitment 
that they made. They obviously remember that. And so it, yeah, I would say be patient and just love them where they're at. Be patient and love them where they're at. It'll work out. And that's, that's really good advice in terms of just patience. I think that is um, something that we, we 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 should all just strive to to give a bit more of is is that I, I like that, um and I just wanted to ask just a couple of sort of um final questions really um and the first one for you for, to ask is what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? Yeah. For me, it's the freedom to be yourself, and Kathy Colby also believes that that's the freedom to or that's the um her definition of success is the freedom to be yourself, to serve others and love yourself. That's a different reply to I've ever had. So freedom's a, a, an interesting one to, to get there. And finally, I'd like to ask what like allows you to stay humble? God. God allows me to stay humble, um, for sure. My relationship with him and putting something above yourself and recognizing that there's always more to learn every day and that for me if i'm not learning i might as well be in the ground and if i'm breathing and i am taking in oxygen then my job isn't done and i'm blessed and thankful for that mm-hmm. oh that's i think that's really good and i just want to give you gail a platform now just to for people in terms of where do they need to go for prosper to coach how to get a hold of me like, yeah, just like what your website, so website for people that might be interested in terms of contacting you in terms of seeking your help or more knowledge on, you know, on what we have discussed or the club, the, I can't say it, the club method, is it club method? I've got it wrong. <laughs> is it what? The uh, Kolb, the Kolb's, um, Colby. that's Colby. what I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Conation, Conation, yeah. So plans to prosper coaching.com is my website and Gail at plans to prosper coaching is my email. Those are the best ways to get a hold of me. I would say phone, but it might be a little expensive. I do have um, WhatsApp, but yes, for now I would say email would probably be the easiest and that's Gail at plans to prosper coaching.com. And like I say, I'll put them all in the show notes as well. But I just want to thank you, Gail, for, for giving me your time you know, this morning for yourself, you know, to, to share this and talk to me about Carnation because it's something like say I, I never heard of and I feel like there's a lot from this conversation that we've had together that I will take away and, and hope to, to use in my line of work or in the future. So I really thank you for giving me your time today and thank you for thank staying you. humble thank with you. me. Yeah, thank you for having me on too, David. I appreciate that. Thank you.